Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to a special edition of Popcorn and Compliance. While we typically look at the movies over this short podcast series, Megan Doherty, co-founder of One Stone Creative, and myself will take a look at the series Loki. While not technically a movie, it's streaming on the Disney platform, so that's close enough. Over the series, we will take a look at the storylines, some of the cookies and other cool things. We'll describe the great action scenes from each um, episode, and then we'll take a look at issues raised by each episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. We will take things from the societal angle, from the social justice angle, from the MCU angle, and perhaps even from the compliance angle. But if you're an MCU fan or you're a compliance fan, I know you will enjoy this episode, we look at the concluding episode of this season of Loki, For All Time Always. We look at the show, try to put it in the context of the series, and look at the series in the context of WandaVision and The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, concluding with where it all fits in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again with Megan Doherty co-founder of One Stone Creative, for our final episode into Loki Season 1. This episode was entitled For All Time Always. And the synopsis, Renslayer leaves on a mission to find free will after Miss Minutes gives her information from TVA's creator, quote, he who remains, end quote. Um, Hunter B-15 proves to... TVA troopers that they are variants by showing them a Renslayer variant who is a high school vice principal. Meanwhile, in the Citadel at the end of time, he who remains tells Loki and Sylvie that he ended a multiversal uh, war between his variants by using Alawith, uh, who we met in episode uh, five, to destroy alternative timelines and created the TVA to maintain the peace. As he has grown weary, he offers them a choice, kill him and risk another multiversal war or replace him in overseeing the TVA in a, sing- in a singular timeline. Loki, excuse me, Sylvie, uh, still uh, enraged with hatred, wants to kill him, but Loki pleads with her to stop. They kiss, but Sylvie sends Loki back to the TVA headquarters. She kills he who remains unleashing a multiverse with alternative timelines that the TVA cannot prune. At TVA headquarters, Loki warns Mobius and Hunter B-15 about he who remains variants, but they do not recognize Loki, and he sees that a statute about he, uh, a, a statute of one of the variants who has replaced uh, the timekeepers is indeed he who remains. So, uh, that's the setup, Megan. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't have a lot of cookies in this episode after the uh, plethora in episode five, but we had uh, perhaps the most interesting credits I think I've seen open any of these episodes. And I just want to read through them because it was both musical and spoken word. So we had One Small Step for Mankind, One Giant Leap, uh, One Small Step for Man and One Giant Leap for Mankind, I should say, by Neil Armstrong. Uh, How Dare They, uh, Greta Thunberg, uh, My Dream, uh, We Have Fought for the Right to Experience Peace, Nelson Mandela, I Will Rise, Maya Angelou, and we think of this as one-way motion, Carl Sagan. 
Um, and then, of course, was the music um, throughout this. And you're spot on about um, it was the music that Steve Rogers and Peggy Carter danced to uh, at the end of Endgame. But it was also music that played in one of my favorite TV series, Peggy Carter which I was destroyed, uh, desperately destroyed when it was canceled and not picked up. So uh, that's a great call. And now when I hear that music, that's immediately what I think of. What did, uh, what did that music bring up for you? Well, I thought it was really interesting that they started with um, quotations from the Marvel Universe. Um, so they had uh, almost all of the main Avengers with a speaking line against that music. And then they transitioned into these great characters, these heroes from our universe. And you know, I, I didn't kind of make a musical connection to that, but I thought what they were doing thematically was almost transitioning us from Marvel to our universe and almost implying that the one is canceling out the other. We had some additional music. We had some Beethoven and for Elise and we had mm -hmm. Swan Lake. Um, tell us about the Gold Street Mar Marble. Oh, well, that was really interesting when they got to the Citadel at the end of time. And it's this beautiful black, almost gothic looking citadel all streaked through uh, with gold. And it looked very much like a ceramic uh, repair technique called kintsugi, uh, where when you have a broken teacup or a broken bowl or a broken ceramic piece, you put it back together and seal the joints with gold, uh, making something uh, beautiful and new out of what was broken. Um, I don't know if that's what they were going for, um, but it really looked like it and it was very cool. Now, I didn't talk about this in the synopsis because I wanted to save it. It's so delicious <laughs> and so so very important to you. And that was Miss Minutes. And uh, immediately after kind of these opening credits and the lovely music, we had a maybe 60 seconds, uh, perhaps a little bit longer, of dialogue between Miss Minutes, Loki, and Sylvie. And Miss Minutes really offered them uh, to be together in their own timeline. You want to maybe pick it up from there and what you were thinking when you saw that? Yeah, well, I mean, she, she popped out on almost a little jump scare, um, which was kind of fun, um, thus making me believe momentarily that my theory that she was the mastermind behind it all was correct. Um, but it does seem like she was more of a, a mouthpiece or a major domo um, for he who remains. And, you know, it was really displaying this omniscient, um, knowledge of the Lokis, of the timelines, um, trying to make convince them or prep them for the conversation that they were about to have and, and maybe nudge them towards making the decision to do what He Who Remains wants them to. Um, so I thought it, it really deepened her character um, in terms of the access to knowledge that she has and uh, her persuasive ability too. I was about... 75% of the way you were, but I went off an alternative timeline when I saw mm -hmm. that. I thought that she was setting herself up uh, as the true Wizard of Oz and oh. that whatever we saw next would be the puppet. And so I really thought this was a setup that, that you were absolutely right all along, <laughs> but that this opening sequence was not her um, uh, being a domo uh, for he uh, who remains, but really um, uh, showing herself uh, as being om omnipotent, or as we say in Texas, omnipotent, and that uh, um, 
at the end of at the end of the episode, she would uh, she would come back in. So I was really expecting that the whole way through. Uh, even after, uh, I suppose we can say that uh, Sylvia kills Sylvie kills he who remains. Um, but that really, uh, I was completely invested in your theory that it was her. And so I was expecting, uh, that's really what that part brought up for me. Well, I mean, and I mean, who knows? Because, um, she sticks around, it, it seems like after he who remains is gone. So maybe there's something to that. Well, uh, there's really a lot to discuss here. And, um, Unfortunately, you have to have some knowledge, I think, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, but it really starts with um, uh, Kang, and uh, he who remains appears to be Kang. He never calls himself in that, although he does uh, say he went by many different names throughout history, and is he going to be the ultimate bad guy, or is he setting us up for somebody uh, uh, even better, bigger and better than Thanos. Uh, I mean, he, he definitely emphasized conqueror. Um, so I, th- I think the theory has some credence. Um, and as for the ultimate bad guy, I mean, that was really hard to say because he kind of struck me as a Thanos type villain who was, you know, doing really brutal things, but with a real detachment. Um, you know, I think he, he said it very clearly, you know, it's not personal. This was to maintain order in the universe for the good of the universe. I mean, too bad for the other universes. Um, but does that make someone ultimately a bad guy or basically a deity? Mm, invoking the deity. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> but uh, it made me think that Thanos was actually uh, only one-dimensional because he only had, mm-hmm. I really had not a thought about variants, Thanos variants, although that was referenced uh, when he was talking to Loki and Sylvie, but uh, kind of thinking about how Thanos saw his role. It it wasn't a prune. It was literally to destroy half of all peoples everywhere uh, so that the other half might be able to live uh, more free. Yeah. Really interesting comparison. So so you think you're you're thinking he's, he's really closer to a, to a deity than, uh, and kind of an ultimate bad guy human. Yeah, well, I mean, there's nothing to say that in this universe a deity can't be a bad guy, or in any universe, really. Um, but with that much power and that much knowledge, I think the difference between, you know, that and deity um, becomes pretty trivial. <laughs> so offering that to the Lokis was really interesting because um, they're very comfortable with the god rule. If what uh, he who remains, Kang, Richards, uh, any of these names tells us is true – and there are multiple timelines and variations of timelines. Uh, is are these timelines going to cross? And we are, are we about to enter such a complicated Marvel Cin- Cinematic Universe? Or I even heard one reference to the MCM Marvel Cinematic Multiverse uh, <laughs> that you're going to have to have uh, your own uh, 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 scorecard, not simply to keep the uh, the characters aligned. But the multiverse is aligned? Um, if that means we get reboots of everything with different cast, I'm so there for it. It's not simply another 30 movies. It's a new uh, timeline a week in the Marvel Cinematic a multiverse. Yeah, I think I think it'll keep uh, people subscribed to Disney Plus forever. That's <laughs> some serious marketing. You and Audra may need to incorporate <laughs> some of that into One Stone. Um, so let's... Um, 
you know, you posed the question, where did Renslayer go? I wanted to pose the question of the timeline that Mobius and Hunter B5 appear to be uh, in when Loki returns to the uh, TVA and they don't recognize him. But where did you think Renslayer went? See, I wasn't sure. I found um, some parts of this this finale a little baffling. Um, uh, it didn't all kind of. I'm kind of a completionist, and it didn't give me that everything's tied up in a neat little bow feeling that I generally look for in a finale. Um, but yeah, I don't know if Renslayer was trying to go determine whether or not she was actually a variant, try to go through the void and talk to you know he who remains herself. Yeah, I had really no idea. That was kind of a, a pretty genuine question. Where could Renslayer have gone? Uh, and as for where, like, why or what version of the multiverse that they, Loki went back to, I mean, it must have been a different one because that statue was there and because Mobius and B-15 didn't recognize him. Um, was he sent there intentionally? Could Sylvie have planned it? Did uh, he who remains set it all up this way? Uh, this episode left me with a lot more questions than it answered. <laughs> Well, what are your theories? What do you think? You know, I'd have to, yeah, I'd have to agree with that. But I guess the answer now of what happened to Loki after New York was uh, made clear to me. Uh, he just went to a, an alternative universe um, mm -hmm. after uh, he picked up the Tesseract. Um, and I, I, now I wonder how is it the Tesseract was able to, he was able to use the Tesseract to transport in time, but uh, perhaps that's a different question for a different series. I was really intrigued by the fact that Mobius and Hunter B-15 did not recognize uh, Loki. Uh, now, I think you're absolutely right. The, the short answer or, the, or the, the perhaps obvious answer, if we can say anything's obvious anymore, that, that he was just in a, a different timeline. But I was intrigued by the statue of He Who Remains. Mm -hmm. Now, I had really not thought about this in terms of a, uh, a deity, but uh, I think you might be on to something there. If you have a statute like that to someone, uh, they may uh, be either moving towards or having having achieved deity status. But I guess the other thing um, I thought of, and of course, I relate everything to Star Trek, the original series, <laughs> and, um, and in more than one episode, there were uh, humans who were serving a computer that was set up uh, eons and eons ago by other humans who'd long since died off. Mm. And they were uh, serving that computer to continue the society. And I really wondered if if he who must or he who remains uh, was able to set up the TVA and did see a need to have the uh, the timeline aligned with no variance, but that that person or whoever that person was, deity or not long ago, passed, passed on to the great beyond. And now we had something, uh, basically an AI running uh, a bunch of humans running the TVA. So um, that, that brought up some, some interesting questions, I thought. And then um, I guess the other thing uh, that kind of came up for me was I think I read that the next Doctor Strange is going to explore some of these multiverses in a little bit more detail. But if we're going to uh, now jump uh, in and out of, how do we keep everything straight? Uh, well, I mean, your scorecard idea was a pretty good one. Uh, but 
I don't know. I guess we're going to have to trust that there's going to be visual or other kind of cues to let us know which multiverse we're in or, or which iteration of the multiverse we're in. There must be, there's going to have to be some kind of, of visual or maybe audio lexicon uh, to help us identify what it's going to be. I was just going to say, I'm really excited about um, Dr. Strange and the Multiverse of Madness because I feel like there is a very thorough pickle for him to solve now, uh, which is going to be really, really exciting to watch. So I certainly agree. But looking back now, we've had the chance to uh, to go through uh, the Winter Soldier mm-hmm. and the Falcon and, of course, WandaVision. And now this one. Do you have really any thoughts on how this series compared to the others or or the or or are they so different in focus that it's really unfair to compare them because they're trying to do different things? I think they are trying to do different things. Um, I, I believe they all extend the universe. Um, I, I kind of feel like WandaVision was more of a standalone than either Falcon and the Winter Soldier or the Loki series were. Um, but I, I really appreciate the depth into these characters who you know didn't have their own movie trilogy. Um, kind of in the the original set, it's been really rewarding, I think, to to see this exploration of of the other people. I'm hoping we get a Hawkeye one next. I've I think that uh, maybe in the works. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I think that may be in the works, but I I thought about it perhaps in a little bit different way, which was um, the order we saw the series because of the order they were released, mm-hmm. and I thought about. Uh, Winter Soldier and Falcon as a series that really explored the origins of both. And Mm -hmm. certainly the Winter Soldier and what happened to him uh, after he was captured and then brainwashed. And then the Falcon gave us uh, much more uh, background, not only on on himself, but also the history of the Winter Soldiers, as we found out. And then in WandaVision... This, to me, was a series about a woman who was in many ways learning about herself and learning about her powers and being shown really what she could become. And then I felt like this series on Loki really uh, took the kind of WandaVision concept of, of what could be or the growth of one character to an entirely different level with the multiverse and that Mm -hmm. this could be not what one person could become, but what uh, a timeline or a series of timelines or indeed an entire universe could move from literally a uni one verse to multiverse. So um, I really thought about it when I was thinking about it, it might for me have worked if they'd put winter soldier first. Also, I think because of the characters, winter soldier and the Falcon, were much more action-oriented uh, because these were action characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wanda was certainly action-oriented, but there was also, I thought, a lot of reflection in that. Uh, we had, you know, Pietro coming in. Uh, we had um, Vision, obviously, was a part of that. We had it after the Sokovia Accords where they were trying to capture her. So uh, kind of a lot going on there. Um, but with... Uh, Loki, you know, I'm not sure I got much more of his origin story, but it did for me really flesh out um, Loki as the trickster. 
and that that was mm-hmm. just uh, he was never going to be trustworthy. And uh, he would say or do anything. And the next minute, it could be 150 degrees or 180 degrees uh, opposite with no rhyme or reason. But that's because that's just the way he was. And that was in, in the finale, kind of a, a little bit of a heartbreaking moment, wasn't it? When he says to Sylvie, you know, you can't trust and I can't be trusted. Uh, almost, you know, a, as kind of the capstone statement between the two of them. Uh, that, that was quite sad. You know, that that was a very poignant moment. The other thing I was wondering what you thought about is Sylvie, she didn't really seem to me to be the Loki um, that we had um, and that we were used to from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. She she was driven literally across all time by rage. And we hadn't seen that kind of singleness of focus, uh, at least I hadn't, from from Loki himself. Any thoughts on that? I think you're exactly right, um, because th- there wasn't too much of the trickster about Sylvie at all. Um, you know, she was she was pursued, she was hunted, and then she was, as you say, driven by by, by rage and vengeance. Um, and and the the way the two of them interacted, like together, they were one really well rounded individual. <laughs> <laughs> but individually, not so much. Uh, and, and you know, her actions in this episode, they really seemed to be driven by everything that had happened before and nothing that was happening now, um, which almost seemed to discount any character development that had happened over the course of the episodes. Um, because, you know, they have this really important thing that probably, as Loki pointed out, could use a little discussion, uh, at least, to see whether or not this is a good idea, whether or not we can believe this guy and, and trust what's happening. And... Uh, no, she just stuck with the original plan without without a lot of thought. So um, I guess uh, we have a few minutes left, but what were your maybe final thoughts on the uh, the entire series? Uh, with, of course, some words about your love for Miss Minutes. <laughs> uh, well, Miss Minutes is great. I hope she gets into season two um, because I think she was charming. And, and for the series as a whole, like I thought it was, it was fabulously interesting. And I, I loved how integrated it was with everything else. Um, it really felt like it was part of like the, the MCM tapestry, um, and really setting up for everything that's going to come next. So it, it very much didn't feel like a, a, a standalone, um, project like some of the other ones have. So Mostly, I'm just really excited to see what happens, um, particularly what happened with uh, Hunter B-15 and Mobius. I was hoping for a reunion there. I was so excited for that, and it did not happen. Uh, What about yourself? What are your your whole thoughts in the series? uh, Throughout the series, we had some incredible cookies that we've talked about in other podcasts. Mm -hmm. And the, um, the multiple Lokis, I thought, was a really interesting... The uh, episode five for me was probably the most powerful uh, because we got to see Asgard and in, in what I remembered it. It's all its glory. Oh, and uh, uh, the traditional Loki or, or whatever his name was, re- recognizing uh, the power, the true power he controlled. So um, uh, that part, uh, I really uh, kind of enjoyed all of that. Uh, I really like, I'm big into set design and, all of that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And so the set design, I just, uh, I love Art Deco, very Art Deco, uh, very um, 
clean lines uh, from everything from the paper they use to their desktops, to their memos, to the rooms, to the uh, office buildings that the TVA was located. I really enjoyed uh, sort of all of those things uh, as well. And, and actually, I was wondering, since I think we both agree this was not the end, it was the end of season one, not the end mm -hmm. of the series. Can we see Mobius and B, 100B15 uh, in a separate series going forward? Uh, yes, I would absolutely watch that series. <laughs> I think that'd be great. A new uh, a new set of buddies. Um, I think, well, the, the post-credits uh, scene in this was, you know, season two has been said to happen. It has is, is been scheduled. I, I hope we get to see more from Hunter B-15 because I think she was an interesting character that didn't get a lot of airtime. Well, unfortunately, this brings us to the end of this series. You want to take us home, Megan? Uh, well, thank you, everyone, for joining us. Um, and thank you, Tom, for inviting me to join you on this series. As always, it has been an absolute pleasure. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Popcorn and Compliance. Whenever the next MCU or MCM series is out, Megan and I will be back. So I hope you will look forward to that and join us again. I hope you will check out the newest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network, Felicitations and Greetings, where I reflect on a variety of topics. My most recent series was an exploration of the science of Star Trek, the original series with Dr. Ben Lachlan. The Compliance Podcast Network has a podcast for every kind of compliance. I hope you will check it out. It's linked in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.